Good morning, church. Go ahead and have a seat. And uh, let me say to you kids, there's lots of children that are looking back in the back right now because Miss Jamie is there and ready for action. So there will be a lot of fun for you and um, a lot of fun for us. So don't feel bad for us. Okay. Um, we're going to enjoy some time in God's Word as we do each week uh, together. <coughs> Well, I um, told you last week, uh, confessed to you, some of you are online joining us live stream right now, and you're seeing a, an image online of uh, a new series that begins here today called Voices. Um, and it's a, it's a look, it's a Voices from the Past look at the minor prophets that we'll learn about a little bit in an introductory way this morning, and the modern message that they have for our lives. It's easy to look, I think, at the Bible and say incorrectly that that's really cool or that's really impressive or those words seem like uh, uh, words of substance, but we sometimes fail to make the complete connection and say, no, those are not just words that are meant to be impressive, but they're meant to impact our lives. There's a difference, you know, don't you? Um, you can be impressed by Jesus Christ. Almost everybody is. But the next question, and it's a good question, are you impacted by Jesus Christ? Is he, can you hear that, the shift there? It's going from uh, being kind of a fringe person or a person on the outside looking in to one who does what we just did. We worship him. We bow before him. We actually, in our minds, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that did this a moment ago, we imagined ourselves drawing close to the cross once again and remembering where this relationship was made possible between us and God the Father through what Jesus did for me and you. So it's important that we see um, not just the impact or the, the impressive things of the, of the Bible, but that we go a next step and look at uh, the impactful ways the Bible's meant to, uh, to touch our lives. I, um, <clears throat> I, I, I have an experience on a regular basis where um, I'll read my Bible and I'll read something really cool. How, how many have that just sort of on a regular basis? You're just like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Maybe you've even read it before, but you're here again, and you just say, wow, that's it's almost new. It's that cool. And you wonder, was that actually written for me? You ever had that question? Because you know it was written long ago, and so maybe you're wondering, is, was that written for me or or just for people, or was it written for people living in another time in a, a, most cases, faraway place? And of course, the answer is yes. It's written for you, and it was written for them. Uh, pick any paragraph in the Bible. Pick any verse in the Bible. Pick any uh, book of the Bible. There are 66 of them all together. And you're sure to read about people living in unfamiliar places like Babylon. You hear the name, 
but I double dare you to find it on a globe or a map today. By the way, it's still buried somewhere, okay? It's, it's not a place you can go and check in to a hotel or, you know, uh, take a flight that lands on an a international airport runway. It's just not there. Uh, same is true of Nineveh. Same is true of a lot of places that, uh, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, you get the general location, but it's not exactly a resort town, <laughs> okay? So that's true. Those are faraway places, and, and, um, and there were people that lived in those unfamiliar places to us, and they, they often, as you read about these places, have these questions like, how do those words work in our world, okay? Or, or you might take a second question, is that message meant for, for the people that live in the 21st century? So, one of my favorite answers to that question comes uh, from a New Testament letter uh, that was written, it was penned by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian Community Church. Did you know that? Probably not, because I just made it up, okay? All right? But, but you know it as 1 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. So would you open your Bibles, if you haven't, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to introduce you to an idea that has to do with this larger series that begins today for us this summer. Um, so as you turn there, let me just say that the Apostle Paul was writing a gathering of young Christians, we would say. They've met Jesus, but it wasn't like they're third-generation people. These aren't people that go real deep or wide in this new relationship with Jesus. So we would call them new Christians or young Christians, and they actually lived in the southern Greek city of Corinth. And here's good news for you. You can go there today. You can actually go to Corinth and go, whoa, this was written to the church that used to be in this location. Can you tell from my voice that I want to go there? <laughs> I think that would be cool in a lot of other places around there. But So um, Paul has just finished describing the Christian life as a race. Okay, now that already has your attention because some of you are thinking of races coming up. Um, maybe it, you thought of a horse race yesterday. There was one in New York, um, well, part of the Triple Crown. But there's big races coming this summer in Japan known as the Olympics, right? And, and uh, unless they're canceled, I don't know how that's going to turn out. But uh, there's these Olympic Games. The Apostle Paul is using that analogy, and pick up with me, and let me just read a few verses from chapter 9. Do you not know, Paul says, when you read that, um, he's, he's not insulting you, but close. He's basically saying, don't you all know this? Don't you understand what is self-evident? Now let's pick it up. Don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, Take your marks, get set, get, it in, get that image in your mind. But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to be that person, the one that gets the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. 
They do it to get a crown that will not last. That's an, an interesting statement here. It's like, how hard can we work for something that won't last very long? They, they, they kill themselves. They knock themselves out, he's saying here, to get a crown that won't last. But we do it to get a crown that will last, what's the word there? Forever. Okay, that's, that's better than uh, flowers that fade. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a, a boxer beating the air. Saw a guy jogging. He did both of those things this week. And he's jogging down the trail. And, and I'm thinking, man, bro, you're burning energy. You could just go a straight line. And, you know, but he's just going down the trail. And he's, he's like Rocky in my neighborhood. <laughs> you know? And, I'm, okay, I'm impressed. I was impressed by the guy. But I can't do that. So, um, He says, I don't do that. I don't run like someone running aimlessly, and I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow. Where? To self, to my body. And I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. As with any athletic competition... The winner must train hard to cross the tape first. He's just covered that. The same is true. The exact same is true in the Christian life. So what he's saying, but some, and let me bring it home to us, some don't train hard. They just don't. They barely, they have to search to find their sneakers. You know, they just don't go after it. They're not throttled up and determined to get there and win. They don't train hard, and, uh, and the results show, which is where chapter 10 comes in. It calls attention to people. Paul now, first century, around the 50s, he's calling attention in this next section to people that live. Ready for this? 1,500 years before he wrote this. I'm going to stop and let you take that in. It, it means that he's actually paying careful attention to folks that lived long before he lived. You get a little hint of where he's going when I say that. So they lived 1,500 years earlier, and this will hook you. They ran the race poorly really poorly. So let's read verses 1 uh, and following. Don't you know, I, I don't want you to, uh, to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, the people he's talking about, that they were all folks that passed through the sea, and they were all, see the word all, repeat, 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 They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, in spite of the fact that they had it all, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. 
Let me just pull that together for us. These people had it all. They had God's presence we just read about. They had God's provision. The daily manna that came for them decade after decade, the, the, the provision and God's protection. They had all of these things. But verse, ver, the verses we've just read said they lost it all. They practiced uh, forbidden things, and the list is mentioned in beginning in verse 7. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. So they practiced idolatry. And the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality. So they were idolatrous and immoral behaving people, as some of them did. That we should not be that way. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Read the remedy in John chapter 3, maybe later today. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. So these people that lived long ago had it all and lost it all and were told why. Their practices included idolatry, immorality, and even even ingratitude. They were hard to please people, hard to lead people. These things that we just read about are meant to go further than just our knowledge of them. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I know it two ways. Verse 6 that we skipped over and verse 11 we haven't come to. Both say almost the same thing. Look at verse 6 with me. These things, now these things Paul is saying, occurred as examples to keep who? Us. Folks that live 1,500 years later than all these people that are described here, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So we're not supposed to just go, right? All the things we do, we sometimes go, man, what a, what a fail. What a swing and a miss. Talk about striking out. That would be a mistake. Because he's saying, verse 6, those things happened, and I call your attention to them for your purpose. He's telling his audience. So here's my point. If it was true 1,500 years earlier than this writing in 1 Corinthians, how much more so 2,000 years further down the road in the time we live in? 3,500 years later, these lessons are still very much alive. Go down to verse 11. You'll see the second half of that. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. That we won't do the same thing. They're warnings that say, Steve, stop. Take a look. Listen. And learn. Apparently, that's not an easy thing to do. 
I'm looking at people, and you're hearing this from a person who's very capable of looking at a really bad example and blowing right by it and saying, what's for lunch? Well, what are we going to do, honey? What are we going to do the rest of our day? You ever, you ever know somebody like that? <laughs> I do that all the time. When the preaching's boring, I just check out. No. <laughs> that was a bad example. Call. <laughs> um, you know, don't ignore lessons learned. You say, well, Pastor, why are you so sure we ignore them? Look at verse 12. We didn't read that far. Therefore, to the one who thinks he stands, therefore, to the Steve who thinks that will never happen to me. What's he say? Take heed. Let me give you the modern translation from the Greek. Smell the coffee again. Take a deep whiff. Take heed lest you fall, just like they fell. See that? See why he's, he caught us, didn't he? He caught us checking out what happened to them and stopping short of saying, that could happen to me. And he, and he takes me like Miss Jenkins, my first grade teacher, did often. She's probably dead. She should be. Anyway, um, I'm so sorry. So sorry. Man, that was bad. Uh, yeah. If you study me closely, you'll see this ear is longer than this ear, and it's for that reason. Okay, I'm coming, 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 coming. Okay. Paul is doing that. Steve, if you saw those immoral people, those ungrateful souls, those idolatrous people that have something else on the throne of their life, and all you can do is go, whoa, sucks being you, you know? You missed the point. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin, says James. Therefore, to the one who thinks he stands, take heed, lest you fall. Are you guaranteed to fall? Not according to the next verse. Verse 13, there is no temptation. Not any of those listed or any that you struggle with. There is no temptation that has overtaken you, but what such is common to man. Would everybody stop right now and look at this room full of people. Look, get some eye contact with somebody near you and go, oh, you struggle with that too? Go ahead. You just confess your sin right now. That's good for you. Okay? Oh, wow. I did not know you struggle with idolatry or immorality or ingratitude. Right? You don't have to go that far. It'll get really creepy. But anyway common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with every temptation, it comes preloaded with a way of escape from God himself so that you can endure it and succeed. Now you know why this is my favorite. It's just so relevant. That's how moderns like us can gain and glean from ancients like them. 
which is the background of this series. Every one of us has either an app or a real Bible that, um, a, your apps are real Bibles, but you get what I mean, uh, real pages, right? So we have a Bible that contains 66 books featuring various authors uh, who wrote with a purpose. Their purpose was to address local audiences. Let's start there. It was to address individuals in the Corinthian community church. That's what Paul's first audience was. And, and to address um, not just the church, but real people living in that church and real lives, real humans facing real problems who need real help and real hope. Did I just describe you? Raise your hand if I did. I'm still that guy. This wasn't those poor, pathetic first century folks or further back than that. No. And by the way, if that's true, then we really shouldn't, we, we shouldn't waste our time reading God's Word. Right? Doesn't that make sense? So, um, their words, without exception, are intended for a wider audience than just that local Corinthian church. Indeed, they're intended for a worldwide audience. Um, uh, people who, in many cases, weren't even alive at the time that the book or letter or epistle or gospel was written. That's why you and I show up with our Bibles. That's why tomorrow morning, hopefully, you will sit with the, with the Bible in your lap and talk to Jesus and say, you know what, I'm going to do less talking. Why don't you just talk to me? And you start to hear, not just from Jesus, but from all the words of God, stuff that's real. And as Hebrews 4.12 says, living and active. Um, that's, be, that's, that's part of the backdrop of this series. There are 66 books of the Bible that were written by some, uh, a collection of some 40 authors. You may have not known that, but I, I want to give you some information as we go forward. Every book, however, is described by Paul's words to Timothy when he said 100% of the Bible not just 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, but all of the Bible is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, re reproof, correction, training, and righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, properly trained, equipped for every good deed. The, the words um, inspired or breathed by God really mean inspired by God. It, it means this in the Bible. Th the author that wrote it, the I often refer to it as the human author because 100% of this Bible was authored by God. That's the right starting point. And he chose humans. They became the conduit through which the words of God are, are contained in these books of the Bible. So 100% of those authors, 40 of them, were moved 
to write down what God wanted them to say then and through them to every generation of people since then. So God guided this writing team, if you will, to communicate his very words. Some quick touch points, because we're going to spend a lot of time in the, um, in the Testament before the New Testament. I, you notice I'm, miss, I'm, I'm trying to avoid the word old, right? And anybody over 60 is grateful right now. Don't call me old, right? Because it sounds irrelevant, right? When we say, ah, oh, that's old, we think, give me new. We miss so much in people. Go hang out at a, a, a senior living place and learn a lot. But it's also true and, and more consequential if we think, ah, it's just the Old Testament. We make a mistake there. We miss out on wonderful things. In fact, we miss out mostly on the true meaning of the New Testament without the Old. We've got to have it. So here's some, you know the word genre means? Like, um, it's, it's variations. It's, um, it's nuances. Here's some different genre of language that makes up the 39 books that uh, are the Old Testament. Okay, the first five books are books of the law, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then you quickly come in, and by the way, the author of that, the human author, Moses, and then you move into historical books, and there's a bunch of them, and they're some of my favorite in all the Bible. So right after Deuteronomy comes Joshua, right? Somebody said Malachi. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> You're getting there. You're getting ahead of me. But Joshua all the way to Esther, Ezra and Nehemiah, Esther. Those are called historical books. Really cool times. Uh, study them like crazy. And you'll find, by the way, a discovery, first, first and second kings, mirror first and second chronicles in many ways. So you're going to go, wow, it's kind of like the four gospels. They go together. Did you know that, Pastor? Yeah, it's really cool. And it gives you different angles from which to or, or, uh, understand the story more fully. We go from historical to wisdom literature. And y'all love that, right? Sit with a wise man. Sit at his feet or a wise woman at her feet and learn. And you go away from that going, God, that was so good. They were so, they're not just smart. They're, they, they have whiskers for a reason. Uh, the men do, not the women. Uh, that's not what I meant. But they, you sit at the feet of an elderly person that's lived a life and paid attention and walked with Jesus, and you go, whoa, you're deep. That, that's... That's good stuff. That's wisdom literature. And it goes from Job all the way to Song of Solomon. And then comes, uh, they're called major prophets. And um, they, they go from Isaiah, of course, to Daniel. And then the last group, sort of the caboose of the Old Testament, come uh, the minor prophets. Probably another uh, not so fortunate name. Because I don't know about you, I'll take major over minor any day. Anybody? I mean, I just do that. I don't know how that works in sound and the piano and all, but I, I like, I, I think minor, minor notes are kind of depressing sometimes, right? Don't make that connection to the minor prophets um, because they're not, they're not that way at all. 
Um, not too many parents that I know have named their sons after some of these minor prophets. I mean, I'll, I'll list a few that you haven't named uh, or heard these names. Hosea, these are cool Bible names. But I know Amos as a, I know a dog named Amos, but I don't know a human. Uh, but anyway, Amos, Obadiah. Maybe that's where Obi-Wan Kenobi, I don't know, but it could be. Uh, Nahum, Nahum is another one. You probably remember it as Nahum, but my Hebrew prof would just cringe when I botched it. And then you get to Habakkuk. Say it with me. One, two, three. Habakkuk. And we did that without masks, you guys. That was cool. That was really good. Um, and then you got Zephaniah and Haggai. Absolutely no one names their son Haggai. That's just not cool. So um, they're sometimes referred, these 12 are referred to as the 12. And they're frequently referred to as the writing prophets. Doesn't mean they didn't speak, but much of their ministry was writing. They span 400 years in the Old Testament. From Obadiah, which happens to be uh, controversial dating. I'm going with the older dating. Um, so it puts him about 80 years after the kingdom divided, about around 850 B.C., all the way to the only uh, Italian prophet, Malachi. <laughs> Just a seminary joke, really. It was not good. But Malachi uh, spans 400 years, okay? And uh, by the way, Malachi and Zechariah have something in common, and you'll love this. Uh, combined, they say more about the coming Messiah uh, than just about anywhere in the minor prophets in the 12. You put them together and you go, whoa, these guys were ready for Jesus, who, by the way, was only a short 400 years in the future by that time, 450. All right. Um, if we had lived in that day, we would have been impressed. If you had a book, maybe just the 12, um, you'd, have, you'd have read it and gone, wow, that was, a, that was a good read. I want to do that again. If you heard one of them take a pulpit and present verbally, you'd have, you would have also gone, I, I want to go to his church or his synagogue or whatever. You would have been impressed with them. One scholar says it this way, the prophets boldly rebuked vice and denounced political corruption, oppression, idolatry, and moral degeneracy. They were preachers of righteousness. They were reformers and rev they, they, they were revivalists as well as prophets of future judgment and blessing. They, they were the package, y'all. They were raised up by God in times of trouble, crisis. Am I describing today or what? This is so good. It makes it so relevant. And they were raised up in those times to instruct, rebuke, warn, and comfort Israel. But interwoven into their writings was the ethical and moral teachings that were meant for many future generations, end quote. And I believe those words. Um, every one of the 12 uh, are the subject of words that the Apostle Peter in about A.D. 60, 62, 
uh, he had on his mind what some of you, I think, have on your mind. So where, where did these prophets get their stuff? How did they speak with such relevance? You ever wonder that? I mean, I wonder that about the whole Bible. Man, that just sounds like today's news. Read 2 Timothy chapter 3 and you'll go, ah, that's now. How could that have been written so long ago? Well, Peter said this in both of his letters. I just want to quote you his words to tell you what was on his mind as he scratched his head and looked back at the you know, the, the Obadiah and Jonah, Mike and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Mal, all those guys, he's going, wait. First Peter chapter 1, he says this, verse 10. This salvation, he's talking about salvation there, was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. When I read that, I think of a prophet going, wow, that's, Holy Spirit, you're telling me some really amazing things. And and he goes on. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and great glory afterwards, what we just sang about. So Peter then goes on in his second letter, also in chapter 1, you can get these references at the bottom of your outline uh, uh, every Sunday. I hope you'll do that. But Second Peter 1, he goes on because Peter's like, this has really got my attention. And he says this, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in the scriptures ever came from the prophet's own understanding. These are not haughty, proud prophets with a swag that goes, I know what I'm talking about. No. He says, none of them ever came with with these prophecies with the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, 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 he says. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke them from God. That's so good. That is so good. So starting today, uh, we're going to present a series of messages that, um, that are inspired by these 12, the 12, the minor prophets. And um, we're calling it Voices from the Past, Minor Prophets with a Modern Message. Um, each week we're going to present a prophetic book and seek to identify and, and focus our attention to the concerns that they were addressing then. And as I've said all already a number of times, the concerns and how they relate to us today, these teachings. Um, do, do you notice, some of you listening closely, the pronouns I'm using quite a bit this morning? The we, the, the us. And I want to introduce you to uh, a very special feature of this series this summer. starts today. Um, it's, and it's a stretch. It's going to be, I'm going to introduce it as a stretch because I think it is. It'll be a stretch in lots of ways. It'll be a stretch for Michael because he and I are going to team teach uh, this series. So if you add up all the Sundays in this series, there's 14, an introduction and an ending and then 12, the 12. And we're we're both taking seven of those. Michael has preached for me 
periodically, uh, around twice or three times a year over the years that the West Falls have been here. But this will, this will mark a, obviously an increase in his, uh, the stretch that he's going to get to experience. And um, so, in fact, uh, he'll do back-to-back three times this summer. And I don't think I've had him do that much at all. And so that'll be a stretch. I tell you that so you can pray for Michael. He does a lot of other things insanely well, but this is going to be a, 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 a stretch. And then, can you pray for me too? Because it'll be a stretch for me. And you say, well, how can that be? You know, you seem so natural. No, here's the stretch. I've, been, I've got this habit going. It's a multiple decade habit of preaching every Sunday, every year. And so I'm going to be like a racehorse that, that's not always behaving well sitting and listening because I'm not used to that. I don't do what you do very well. You do not want to see that for very long in me, right? But so it's going to be a stretch for me to watch and learn, not because it's Michael, but because I'm, I'm sort of interrupting a, a habit. Ask my wife if you want to know the details of that habit. It's like I get my game face on and all, you know, it's, it's just me. And then let me go a third stretch. It's going to be a stretch for you. It will. Uh, because you're used to me. And Michael is not me. Michael is wonderfully Michael Westfall. Amen. Amen. You got it, baby. I mean that. I mean that. He has an MDiv. He's got a wonderful marriage. Beautiful children. He's got it going, y'all. And, and <laughs> but he has less experience in the pulpit. And I just want you to know from my heart that um, I know you're going ma- to be here on those Sundays, but you're also going to pay close attention like you do the Sundays I'm up here. And you know why I know it's going to go well? Because in 1993, when I first arrived here, um, I, I just have to tell you, in 93, I put people asleep a lot more than I do now. <laughs> I do. How many of you were here back then when I put, don't, don't raise your hands right now. It would be so hurtful. Um, and you know what else? I lost, my, I lost track of my point back then. I still do. <laughs> but I did it a lot back then. And you guys were just so good. And, you know, I got to tell you something. I, I wasn't nearly as funny back then as I am today. I'm just insanely funny today, so that's good. But, uh, no, <laughs> I just... You guys are so, I, the things I do to get applause, it's so sad. Anyway, that's enough. I just want you to, um, I, I, um, I'm excited. Michael, thank you for joining me in this. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to conclude by quoting the words that come out of Romans 15, verse 4. They kind of summarize in one verse. Whatever whatever verse you want to kind of hang a series on this, um, this is a great verse. Everything that was written in earlier times, Paul said, we've covered what that means, was written for our instruction. That through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hope. Um, 
This will be exciting. Would you bow with me? As we prepare for communion together. Communion is a regular reminder of something done long ago. Something done in the past by Jesus for the benefit of all, all of us, all people, past, present, and future. But it takes us all the way back to the cross. In the summary words in the New Testament, Christ died for all people. You realize that? Some of you are watching from far away. Will you please take that personally? When I say Christ died for all people, he died for you. He died for me. He died for us in the house. He died for all people. That we who live should no longer live the way we once lived for ourselves. But for him who died for us and rose again. Does that summarize everything about the Bible? Take it in, let it transform your life, and live it out for him. This song that we're about to sing, Your Glory, describes the intent intent of Jesus giving his life for us to make us holy. And it answers the most important question you're watching and thinking about, not only today, but any day. What can wash away my sins? The answer is the right answer. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you've never turned to Jesus Christ and and asked him to clean you up, scrub you clean and make you new, there's a whole Bible full of people that did that and lived to tell about a transformation they could never have pulled off without him leading the way. So you can do that right now. Servers are going to join me in just a moment, and we're going to bring communion to you this morning. And we're going to hand you a double cup here in the house. There will be uh, a cup for the bottom cup. We'll have the bread and the top cup, the juice. Just accept it from the server as they come your way. At home, we're giving you a moment right now to gather up what you might call your supplies for communion, to take you to the person who had the right answer, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then we'll sing this song and come back together and share together in communion.